Fear can paralyze us. It can stall us, keep us from moving forward, and it can keep us from experiencing the joy and fulfillment that God has for us. So how do we overcome it? How do we defeat fear? How do we face our fears and overcome them? Uh, How do we get rid of them? Well, we actually can't. But don't worry, there is hope. It just doesn't come from us. A couple weeks ago, we were out in the backyard and uh, me and the girls and just playing around out there. And one of our favorite things to do is just to play on the wooden playset that we have out there. And just like most of them, it's got swings, it, got, it has things to climb on, slides. And for Braylee, um, over the last couple months is really where she's grown up enough to try and participate in some of these things. And so she was out there and we were playing together and she had climbed uh, up the ramp and she had found herself at the top of the slide. And so I'd said, Braylee, you wanna go down the slide? And so uh, she's sitting there looking at it. And as a dad, I'm trying to figure out what she's thinking in her mind. And so as she looks down, there's just this um, sense of maybe apprehension, maybe fear on her face. I'm trying to figure out what she's thinking, thinking, well, this kind of looks like fun. I've seen those other two girls go down this thing and they've smiled and they've laughed. And daddy's encouraging me to go down, but there was just something that was holding her back. She was apprehensive. She was fearful and I could just watch her. She was sitting there and she'd shift her weight forward and then she'd shift back. And she had her hands grabbing the sides of that slide so tightly. And so, I just sat there and I watched her for a minute or so and I walked over and I asked her a question. I said, Braylee, do you want to go down the slide? So she shook her head yes. And I said, Braylee, do you want daddy to help you? And she shook her head yes. And so I walked over close to her, I reached out my hand and immediately she reached her hand out and she grabbed mine and things changed. That facial expression of apprehension left Her other hand released that tight grip on that slide and she zipped right on down with a big smile on her face. And of course, you know what happened next, up the ramp again uh, to do it again. And if you're a parent, you've probably experienced something very similar to this. And we get joy from being able to step in and help our kids experience something that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to experience on their own. And I believe that's the heart of God our Father as well. God loves to do the same thing uh, with his people. Last week we saw that God had called Moses to a huge task. He had seen the situation of his people down in Egypt. The Hebrew people were enslaved and they were crying out for God's help. And God saw them and he heard them and he was going to step in. And he wanted to use Moses as a tool to accomplish this task. So he talks to Moses from a burning bush and he says, Moses, I want to use you to go down and to help free my people. But Moses is afraid. And the first thing I want us to see this morning is that fear causes us to resist God's plan. Fear causes us to resist God's plan. Uh, Steve led us to begin looking at this last week. And if you remember, he mentioned that Moses gave five excuses And we looked at the first two last week. Moses' first two excuses were, number one, uh, insignificance. In chapter 3, verse 11, he basically says, God, I'm insignificant. Who am I? And God responds, and he says, well, Moses, I'm going to be with you. My presence. 
Moses' second excuse was ignorance. In verse 13 of chapter 3, God, what am I going to say to him? I'm not going to be able to convince them. What if I don't have all the answers? God said, well, the solution to that is my character. I'm, I'm going to be there with you. And that's where we left Moses last week. God had spoken to him. He had told Moses he wanted to use him to help his people. And that was a burden that Moses has had 40 years previous. And he had tried to step in in his own power and in his timing. And he got things all messed up. But still, now that God wants to use him to accomplish that, his fear gets in the way. And he continues to resist what God has. So let's continue digging into this conversation and look at Moses' final three excuses. So let's begin reading chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your right hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So in this passage, we see Moses give his third excuse. Inability. They won't believe me. When I tell them you've come to me, they won't believe it. I'm not going to have the ability to convince them. I'm not going to be able to tell them it's true. They're not going to listen to what I have to say. Well, God must have been thinking, were you listening at all? Because if we look back in chapter 3, verse 18, he says, they will listen to your voice. But Moses must not have heard that part or he chose not to believe it. And so God comes and he gives them these signs. His solution, God's solution to Moses' excuse is God's power and his authority. He gives them these three signs, these three demonstrations to convince the people of Israel and the people of Egypt that God truly has come and spoken to him. And as we read through these signs, they might certainly sound amazing to us, but sometimes it's easy for us to miss the significance. The first sign involves Moses' staff. God instructs Moses to throw it on the ground. And when he does, it turns into a snake and Moses takes off. So if you can imagine this 80-year-old man just sprinting across the desert. Well, Moses had been in the desert for 40 years. So it's not the first time he has seen a snake for sure. But it was surely the first time he had seen his staff turn into one. But God's not done yet. He instructs Moses to go and he says to pick it back up. And he tells him to grab it by the tail, which anyone who works with snakes will tell you is not the best way to do it. But Moses obeys. He grabs the snake by the tail and it becomes a staff once again. 
And God explains in verse 5 that the purpose of this sign would be to show the people, uh, to prove to them that God really had spoken to Moses. Now to us, this might seem like a very random and strange thing, but it was extremely significant uh, to the Hebrew people and to the Egyptians as well. You see, in the nation of Egypt, a staff was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of power. It was a symbol of leadership. And so God chooses to use this symbol to send a message. It sends a strong message to the Hebrew people and to the Egyptians that the ultimate authority, the ultimate power was from him. If you think forward in the story, remember Moses would use this very same symbol in front of Pharaoh and his leaders and he would throw this staff down. It would become a snake. They would do the same thing and that what would happen is Moses' staff or the snake would swallow up the snakes from the magicians of Egypt. And so there's this symbolism that his staff is more powerful and therefore that God, his God, is much more powerful than theirs. Well, without even stopping, God gives Moses another command to put his hand inside his cloak and he pulls it out. And there's leprosy on his hand, this incurable and eventually deadly disease. We don't even know what, how Moses reacted, but God tells him to put it back in. And so he puts it back in, pulls it out, and his hand is clean. The third sign is that if the people don't believe the first two, he was to take water from the Nile River, pour it out on the ground, and as he did so, it would become blood. And again, it's easy for us to miss the significance of this. The Nile was Egypt's life source. Uh, their whole culture, their whole um, religious worship centered around the Nile River and the different things that it provided. So by God showing his power over the Nile, God was showing his power over Egypt. So, wow, after this excuse, God gives Moses these incredible signs to be able to go show the people uh, that he really had come to Moses and that Moses really was speaking on his behalf. So Moses is pumped and he's ready to go, right? Let's keep reading in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So Moses is pulling out all the stops now. His fear is causing him to dig in and to resist the plan that God has for him. So he gives a fourth excuse here, inadequacy. God, I'm not good enough. God, I can't speak well enough. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. Now, we don't know exactly what Moses was talking about here. Perhaps he had some form of speech impediment. Maybe he stuttered. Perhaps he could speak well, but he just wasn't good at speaking to a large group of people. We really don't know. But the bottom line is he felt whatever it was disqualified him from what God was calling him to. And God, of course, asks a question that really doesn't need an answer. He says, Moses, who makes people the way that they are? Moses, didn't I make you? Didn't I make you exactly the way that you are? I know all about your inadequacies. I know all about your shortcomings, but I still want to use you for a reason. So God responds to him in the midst and he says, now go. 
And God gives an answer to Moses' excuse, and his solution is God's guidance. He says, I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. It's okay, Moses, that you're not good at it, because I'm going to provide what you need. But Moses gives one final effort to get out of this. Verse 13 says, But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So Moses gives his fifth and final excuse. And it's just one of insecurity. God, I just don't want to. Please, God, send somebody else. I'm afraid. God's solution is his provision. God doesn't let Moses wiggle out of what he's called him to. But he does provide him the help that he thinks he needs. So after all this, we see Moses finally willing to go and do what God has called him to do. So he goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he asks permission uh, to head down to Egypt with Jethro gives. And so Moses and his family begin to head down. He takes his family with him, and on the way there's this incident where Moses' wife Zipporah is forced to circumcise their son. And because Moses had failed to do that, and that was hugely significant because circumcision was this physical symbol, physical representation of trust in God's promises. And Moses had failed to do that, and God was not going to allow him to go down and lead his people without having done that. Well, because of this, Zipporah and Moses' son, they head back um, to Midian and back to Jethro. And we see them later in the story. And Moses begins to head down to Egypt on his own. But before we continue in the narrative, I want us to make sure we zone in on something that's very significant. And you may have noticed this already, but I don't want us to miss it. As Moses is giving all these excuses to God, all these what-if scenarios... What if this God, or what if this God, or what if this God? Those are always red flags that fear is taking control of our life, if those are the thoughts that we're having. But in the midst of this conversation, God's response never actually disagrees with Moses' concerns. When Moses said, God, but I'm a nobody, God doesn't say, no, Moses, you're the man. If anybody can do it, you can. You're so special. He doesn't say that. God, I'm not going to have all the answers. God doesn't say, Moses, don't sell yourself short. You're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. God, they won't believe me. God doesn't say, yes, Moses, you'll be able to convince them. God, I can't speak well. God doesn't respond by saying, yes, you can. You're one of the most powerful speakers I've ever heard. God, there's got to be somebody more qualified than me. God doesn't say, no, Moses. You're the most talented, most qualified person for this job. Nobody else out there uh, is more qualified than you. God doesn't say those things. And here's what I want us to see. That God's solution to our shortcomings and our fears is himself. Moses, you're kind of a nobody who spent the last 40 years hanging out with sheep. 
Yes, I thought about that. Guess what the solution is? I am. Moses, you don't have all the answers? Yes, I thought about that too. Guess what the solution is? I am. Moses, you don't think people will listen to you? You don't think you'll be able to convince them? I thought about that too. Guess what the solution is? I am. Moses, you're not the greatest speaker, and I'm asking you to speak to the leaders of two different nations, one of which is the most powerful in the world. Yes, I thought about that. Guess what the solution is? I am. Moses, you're afraid and you just don't want to do it? Yes, I know that. Guess what the solution is? I am. And this isn't just a principle for Moses' situation. Think about what Jesus said. He's made some of the very same promises to us that he made to Moses. He promised Moses, I'll teach you what to say. Jesus tells his disciples that when they're standing and they're defending who he is, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to show them what they need to say. God says, you think what I'm calling you to seems impossible? And he promises, well, with him, all things are possible. He tells Moses that he's going to be present with him. What does he say to us? That he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so we could go on and on and on about these promises that Jesus has made to us. And the bottom line is this. Jesus is the solution to everything we lack. And that's why whether it's a huge situation or just our daily life, that we need to live in desperate dependency on him for everything. So Moses finally surrenders. He finally says, okay, God, I'm willing to do what you've called me to do. And he heads toward Egypt. And if you notice in verse 20, when he does begin his journey, it says, So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. And then it says, And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Up to this, up to this point, any time Moses' staff is referenced, it's referenced as his staff, a Moses' staff. But at this point, we see a change that it says he took the staff of God in his hand. I think that's significant. And I think it just symbolizes the fact that Moses has finally surrendered. And he's saying, God, it's not about me anymore. It's about you and what you want to do. Let's pick up the story in verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God and he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all of the words of the Lord, which we had sent him to speak, and all of the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. The third thing I want us to see today is that when we allow God to work through us, it brings hope. So as Moses is on his journey, his brother Aaron comes out, prompted by God, and they meet. And I'm sure they have this awesome reunion after not seeing each other for 40 years. And so Moses is able to share with Aaron all that God had told him, all that God had showed him, and all that God had told him was going to happen. And so they make their way back to Egypt, I'm sure with a million thoughts in their heads and all kinds of emotions running through their hearts. And they arrive and they gather the leaders of Israel together. And then they're able to share. Uh, Aaron speaks and he shares the things that Moses had told him, shared all these things that God had said. 
Now we see the people are a little resistant uh, to believe. But what they're sharing here is they're sharing a message of hope. That God saw their situation, that God had heard their cries, and that God was going to do something about it. And I'm sure it was difficult for them to believe. They were a little skeptical. After all, they had been in slavery for 400 years. What was going to change that now? What could Moses possibly do to change the situation? Well, nothing. But God could, and he would. So Moses and Aaron share this message of hope. And they show the signs to prove that God had come and spoken to Moses. And how did the people respond? Well, verse 31 tells us that the people believed. And then the last portion of the chapter says they bowed their heads in worship. So through Moses, God brings a glimmer of hope to a people who had perhaps not ever truly experienced it. And as we know, this was only the beginning of this chapter of the story. So as God calls us to his plan, to lead our families well, to go out and be a light in the community, to share Jesus with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, to get involved in a ministry, uh, to go out and make a difference in the world around us, to disciple another believer. These things can often bring about fear in our own lives because we just don't think we can do it. And in a sense, We're right. So we sit at the top of our slide. We shift our weight forward. We shift our weight back. Our hands are tightly grasping onto the sides. And we're just staring down. But what we need to do is we need to release that grip. We need to reach out, grab God's hand, and allow him the control. And allow him to use us in ways we never thought possible. We need to let God work in us and through us. And when we're willing to let God work in us and through us, it not only gives us hope, but it gives hope to those around us. Because hope really does conquer fear. Dear God, we are just so thankful that the things that you call us to are not dependent on us. And God, that no matter our shortcomings, no matter our fears, no matter our inadequacies, that God, you are the solution to those things. And God, is that you call us to do things for you, as you call us to make a difference in the world around us, God, it's not about whether we can do it. It's about us allowing you to do it through us. And God, I pray that we would be willing. I pray that we would be dependent on you each and every day. In your powerful name, amen.